Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for just the opportunity for us all to gather, just as family this morning, Lord. Uh, just to come together with uh, like heart and, and like minds, Father, and uh, just to be in fellowship, to, to be in worship, um, to be in communion, to hear your word, Lord. And I just pray that uh, we would have uh, just nothing blocking, uh, nothing distracting, Father, and that we would uh, take everything that we would hear and we would um, have a sense of just humbleness and uh, sense of repentance and sense of conviction and uh, just be quick uh, to be obedient, Father. And we just praise you for who you are, and we thank you, Father, that you chose us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh! 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning. Thank you, Father, that your word calls us to be still and to know that you are God. Father, whatever we may be faced with this morning, I pray, God, that we would just trust in you. Father, that we would draw close to you. The Holy Spirit, that we would be attentive to your leading. God, that we would be good stewards of all that you've entrusted us with. Father, that our lives would honor you above all. That we would get beyond being enslaved to ourself and to our flesh. God, that we would throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. And that God, that we would pursue you above all. Father, we thank you for Norma and her team as they have left this morning, as they're flying all day today, getting to um, Indonesia, and Father, how you've called each of them for such a time as this, and we pray, God, for just your favor upon this group, and we pray for the lives of those that they would be ministering to, that a fruitful harvest would come forth, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to open your word this morning. We pray, God, that the scriptures this morning would, Father, minister to each one of us right where we're at and draw us closer to you. The fruit would come forth. We thank you, God, for the opportunity yet again for a new day, for your new mercies. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 11. That's where we're heading this morning. Genesis chapter 11. And as we're going through these scriptures this morning, I want you to think upon drawing close to God that we have an opportunity, as long as there's breath in our bodies, to draw close to Him. It is a choice that each of us have to make daily. To put Him first in our lives. 
to get beyond ourselves, to get beyond our insecurities, to get beyond our fears, to get beyond our, the temptations, but to put God first, trusting and knowing that He will make a way. We have seen, as we're studying, Him be faithful to His Word. He is faithful to what He has begun in the beginning. God's plan for mankind. God's plan of reconciliation, even before the earth was formed. The cross had already been established. Jesus, the Messiah, would come to free mankind from themselves. Because we fell, Adam and Eve, we inherited when they fell, when sin entered in, we inherited that nature, that nature of rebellion towards God. And in the generation that we're living in, everyone is demanding the right to love. To love who they want, love how they want, and love when they want. It, they're, they're promoting love. It's all love. And yet they don't even know the very essence of truly what love is. The Bible says that God is love. That God is love. And that no greater love than this was displayed when Jesus laid his life down for us. God loves each and every single one of us. We've already established that truth. But we have to understand because of his love who he gave. He gave us Jesus. We need to ask ourselves today, what are we doing with Jesus. Is he our Lord and our master? Have we truly embraced him for who he is? Have we truly received his love, his salvation? Or is he just still another good man, another story, just someone else? Because he ought not to be, because he's God. Like Jesus, you all, died for you. Died for you. Took your punishment. Took your punishment. Listen, you're here today and gone tomorrow. I was thinking about this family, and it's a tragedy. I think it happened, tragedy that happened in Alabama. It was a head-on collision. And one car was the son, and the other car was the father, and they both died. And as I sat there this morning, I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, that's just horrible. That family must be going through to receive the news that the father and the son are dead. How many families are going to hear the news, to get a report today? That so-and-so is dead. So-and-so is dead. You see, death is going to come to each one of us. We're all going to take our last breath one way or another. It is appointed that you and I die. <laughs> but if you truly understand who Jesus is and what he has accomplished, 
then there's hope as a believer, if you're a child of God, that death has no power over you. Yet this physical body will die. For eternity, you will be with him in his kingdom. But if you do not belong to Jesus, you will be apart from him for eternity in utter torment. By your choosing, not by his, because he's love. With all this clamoring today about love, we're missing what we're, what the, 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 the church is missing out on presenting truly love to the lost. And yet people will not want to receive Jesus' love. They want their love. They want to live how they want to live, do what they want to do. They want to remain in rebellion towards God. Well, they have every right. If that's how people want to live, they have every right to choose how they want to live. But our right as the church is to continue to be an expression of Jesus' love to the lost. To each other. You know, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. So when I asked you earlier, what are you doing with Jesus? Are you loving him? Because in loving him, your life will change. Because you'll get over yourself, your hurts, your worries. Like he frees us to live a life to the full. All because of what he has accomplished for us. You can't call yourself a Christian and not live like one. You got to stop saying you belong to Jesus when you know good and well in your heart you don't. Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Does not give you the right to inherit his kingdom. He himself tells you that. No matter what man tries to twist Jesus' message, no matter what the culture tries to do to change Jesus' words, his words are established from the beginning. They've already been laid out. God's plan is set. No man can change it. No culture, no generation, nothing can change what God has already purposed. Jesus' words have been set forth, and he is fulfilling them. And so if Jesus says, if you don't love me, if you have not received me, if you don't remain low in spirit, you will not inherit my kingdom. Jesus says, as we talked about on Friday night, that the road to hell is wide. And there's a lot of people going to hell. But the road, the path to Christ, the path to him and to his kingdom is narrow. And not that many people will find it. These are Jesus' words. He recognizes that not everyone is going to heaven. Because they choose themselves over him. So if you're living a selfish life, if you're living a life that is bound to sin and destruction, you're choosing that. No one's forcing you to live that way. You choose to be nasty. You choose to be angry. You choose to be full of lust. You choose to be full of yourself. Unloving and uncaring. That's your choice. But why would you choose that when God himself is standing before you, revealing himself to you? 
revealing himself to you, letting you know that he loves you, letting you know that he has made a way, drawing you to himself. And we've got to stop fighting him. We've got to stop resisting him. We need to start submitting to him. He knows your ways. He knows your rebellion. And yet the word of God says he loves you. But he's revealing his love to you in hopes that you would turn to him. In full submission, God's plan has been laid out and he's bringing it to pass. And as we're going through the Bible, as we're reading through it, I'm hoping that that the Holy Spirit will begin to bring revelation to our hearts and to our minds of this. From the beginning, God is establishing his plan and he's seeing it through. He's seeing it through. And today we're going to open up in Genesis. Because remember, as we're reading from the, from the beginning and kind of bouncing around, but since we're in Genesis, I want you to understand that God's plan is coming to pass. The Messiah is to come. He needs to set a people apart for himself. And he's going to work everything out for that. Genesis chapter 11. <clears throat> At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. And just in those few verses that were just read, they're making it about them. Let us see what us can do. Everything is about them. And is it about you today? Because it ought not to be. It is to be your life about God. There's work that he has prepared for you to do. And this generation that you're in to proclaim his glory and his love. You are called to be an ambassador of his kingdom. You are called to reflect him to others. How are you doing that? What are others seeing in your life? Do they see you as one who is God-fearing, godly? Do they see you as one who is humble, who respects themselves and respects others? Do they see you loving God, or do they see you just loving yourself? See, reality is you're going to have to face God one day. And you're going to stand before Him alone. And you're going to be held accountable for your life. For your life. The people of this day, the people that we just read about, they were concerned for themselves. They wanted to puff themselves up. They wanted it. 
This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower that the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. And that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel. And I used to call it Babel, but the more I was studying it, the more I was listening to people calling it, it's Babel. <clears throat> Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. The Lord looked down. He saw what man was setting out to accomplish. And God says, we must do something about this. God's plan, you all. God's plan. God's plan. Redemption. Remember, from the beginning, God longs to have a people that he will call his own and that they will call him their God. He's not looking for a people just to keep doing what they want to do, living however they want to live. God sees beyond the temporalness of, it, of this life and he understands what eternity is and what he has set in place for mankind. He's not going to continue to allow us to continue to go the way we're going. He's going to intervene. He's going to continue to intervene to reveal himself to us. He's going to continue to intervene to bring about, hopefully, his plan for your life as you submit your life to him. Again, you can choose to continue to resist against him, but why would you? He is faithful. And in his faithfulness and in his great love for you, he knows the plans that he has for you. You can trust him. But are you trusting him? Think about your week. Think about your day. Think about your morning. Are you trusting him? Do you know that he will work all things out for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? God's plan. This is the account of Shem's family. Two years after the great flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. After the birth of Arphaxad, Shem lived another 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arphaxad was 35 years old, he became the father of Shelah. After the birth of Shelah, Arphaxad lived another 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah was 30 years old, he became the father of Eber. After the birth of Eber, Shelah lived another 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber was 34 years old, he became the father of Peleg. After the birth of Peleg, Eber lived another 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg was 30 years old, he became the father of Reu. 
After the birth of Reu, Peleg lived another 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu was 32 years old, he became the father of Shirug. After the birth of Shirug, Reu lived another 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shirug was 30 years old, he became the father of Nahor. After the birth of Nahor, Shirug lived another 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor was 29 years old, he became the father of Terah. After the birth of Terah, Nahor lived another 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah was 70 years old, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abraham, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Ishka was daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took her, his son Abram and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his, Abraham, his son Abraham's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for a hundred, I mean, 205 years and died while he was still in Haran. All of this laying out, these people and their sons, and they died, and another one's born, and so forth, is to get us to Abram, which eventually his name will become Abraham. And there's a key reason why we need to see Abraham come onto the scene. Because Abraham will become the father of faith. Remember God's plan, you all. He's laid it out. He's going to work it out. He's going to bring about what he has purposed. He needs to set apart in Genesis, as we're seeing, he's setting apart a people that the Messiah will come through. The Israelites. I haven't got to them yet, but we're getting to them. He's working all things out to bring about what he's purposed. So sometimes we have to work through all the lineage and get to who and to who and to who and to how and all this other stuff to get us to where we're going, which is Abraham. Abraham is purposed. God purposed Abraham. So we see here, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Do you, did you hear that? God is speaking. The Lord is speaking. And the Lord is saying, I will do I will do, I will do, and I will do. Who's doing it? The Lord. Not Abram, the Lord. All Abram has to do is obey. As it is with Abram, so it shall be with us. Who's doing the newness of life in you? Because you're born again. If you say that you are a child of God, that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been born again of a new nature. You're no longer of the nature that is rebellion towards God. You are of a new nature that is loving God and submitting yourself to God. 
Uh, you're no longer in control. You're allowing God to be God over your life. So who, do, who does the work? The Lord. And do you see the purpose of Abram? Look what it says there. <clears throat> And verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you <clears throat> and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. What is, what is the purpose of the Lord working in Abram's life? What is the purpose of the Lord working in your life? So that you will bless others. Not so that you can make your life still about yourself. Because when you come to Jesus, you've considered the cause. You have died to your old life. You have nailed your old man, old woman to that cross. And now you're raised up into a new life and you're to be living that life. No matter what the generation is saying around you, no matter what other people are doing, you are to live for God. Trusting in Him. Your hope is to be in Christ and in Christ alone. Because hope in Jesus will never disappoint you. Hope in man will always disappoint you. <laughs> but your ultimate purpose for obeying Jesus is so that you can bless others. That you can bless them. That you can serve them. That you can love them. Listen to what he's saying. Abram, this is what I'm going to do in your life. And by doing this in your life, Abram, you will become famous and you will bless, be a blessing to others. The Lord continues. This is the Lord saying, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Look at the next verse, verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. It didn't say Abram argued with the Lord. We see that Abram obeyed what was set out for him. Obedience, you all. Obedience. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will obey me. Don't say you love Jesus and not obey him because you're only lying to yourself. Jesus knows your heart. He knows if you love him or not. Remember, Jesus' word says, I would rather you be hot or cold, but you to be lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. No, he longs for you to love him. He longs for you to obey Him. He longs for you to draw close to Him. The Bible says if you seek Him with your whole heart, you will find Him. But if you have a divided heart, if you're still hung up on your sin, if you're still hung up on your selfishness, if you're still hung up on you, you're not seeking Him, no matter if you're sitting in church or not. A life lived for Jesus is one that is surrendered unto Him and living for Him, obeying Him. Obeying Him. Abram got up and left. 
Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household and at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abraham, I'm sorry, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Morath, and at that time the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord and he worshipped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev. Abraham, just as we looked at um, Noah, in Noah's obedience led Noah to worship God. In Abram's obedience, it's leading him to worship God. We see him build these altars and he's worshiping God. He's honoring God. Listen, you all, how is your worship? Are you having a time of worship? Are you reflecting on all that He is and all that He has done and all that He has promised? Are you drawing again close to Him? Are you seeing Him for who He is and then in seeing Him for who He is, falling down on your face and worshiping Him? Worship your God. Because if you're not worshiping Him, you're worshiping something else. What you give your attention to, you serve. What you allow to have control over you, you worship. And you're either worshiping the things of this world, you're either worshiping yourself, you're worshiping God. So much is, is clamoring, is bombarding your minds to have you focus on it. And yet God, in a still, small voice, calls you to worship Him. He's not going to force you. But in revealing Himself to you, what are you doing with that revelation? You ought to be worshiping Him. But your worship will be hindered through your disobedience. Your worship will not even be accepted by God in a life that is filled with disobedience. There's a lot of people, bless God. Oh, look what God did for me today. And somehow they think that's worshiping God. Some people will play a little Christian music here and there and feel like, oh, I'm worshiping God, and yet their life is full of disobedience. You're not worshiping God. You've made a God in your image who you think is pleased with your sacrifice of that little bit of time you just gave Him. We, 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 as we continue to go through Scripture, we're going to see God even say to His people, stop it. Stop lifting up your hands. Stop praying. Stop worshiping because you're not honoring me. Your heart is not right. See, you can't, 
fool God? He, he, he's not fooled. No, he's God. He knows if you're sincere in your worship. He knows you intimately. And he loves you enough to draw you to himself. And in drawing you to himself, you get this beautiful picture of who he is. And do you honestly think that God is just going to sit by and just let you remain who you want to be? To do what you want to do and somehow think that he's pleased with your life? No. You won't see that in scripture anywhere. You won't see it. Too long, we've all heard uh, about this Jesus that is just this Jesus of hugs and muffins who, who just doesn't care what you do or how you do or anything, that he just loves you and everything's perfect. But I challenge you, read about him. Understand who he is. Understand his character. Remember when I said earlier, we're all going to face death. There's an appointed time that you are going to die. And you're going to have to stand before God. And I'm going to have to give an account as a pastor that shares his word with you on how I've delivered it and made him known to you. So I'm not going to water him down just so you can feel good. I want you to understand that if you don't accept him for who he is, you're going to face an eternal hell. Separated from him. Separated from him. The time is urgent in our generation. I was sitting in a place the other day, just eating Italian food. And as I was sitting there, I looked around and I thought, my God, if these people knew that I was a Christian and I was a follower of Christ, they would look upon me with disgust. Because their lives sitting there doing what they were promoting, living however they wanted to live, they would have looked down on me. I'm fine with that, being looked down upon. But my heart was broken for them. And I was like, God, they're in complete rebellion towards you. The fruit of their life it's not reflecting any type of righteousness. What about your life, you all? Is your life producing fruit of righteousness? Do others see Jesus in you? Do they, do they disdain you for what you believe? Because the world is going to hate Jesus. The world is going to hate followers of Jesus. And you think, I'm kidding? Look what's happening in Yemen on our nation. The rest of the world, they've had to deal with the persecution. But look what's happening in our nation, in this generation. Everybody wants their rights. Everybody wants to live however they want to live. But Christians can't. Christians are looked at and they're mocked at. True Christians. People don't care that you go to church. People don't care that you go to church, you all. 
There's a lot of sinners sitting in church, remaining in rebellion towards God. But be a Christian. Really live it out. And see how many people stay around you. See how many people are going to honor your commitment to God. Because Jesus himself said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Christians are being persecuted in our nation because they are standing up for the truth of God's word. We have a vice president who is a strong Christian man, a man full of faith. We have a president who is a Christian. He is surrounding himself with Christian men and women. We had a first lady stand up yesterday before a rally and pray the Lord's Prayer. It's never been done before. And do you realize how much this administration is hated? Do you realize about the insults that these men and these women of God have to deal with daily? They're not perfect. I'm not looking for Trump and his administration to fix things. My eyes are on Jesus. But one thing I can do and you can do as a Christian is pray for them. Because let me tell you, just as they're being treated, you'll be treated. The LGBT community showed up at the Trump headquarters yesterday and they had a huge makeout session. Just see the pictures of it. Again, that community is not our enemies. We should pray for them. But the craziness that they're doing is showing what they're showing, and they don't even understand that the Trump administration has not said one thing about them. In fact, he will honor them because he's the president of the United States, and he is sort of the president of all people. But do you know what the bottom line of their frustration is? Is Mike Pence, our vice president. Because he has taken a stance and says, listen, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. This is God's truth about marriage and about relationships. But they want to demand their rights. They want to live how they want to live. We have Christian businesses that are being closed down because they are choosing to honor God. And not cave in to the way the culture is going. Turn on most of your talk shows today. Christians are being mocked. True believers are being mocked. Do you know that they will say in in, in psychology that someone who calls themselves a Christian, whose life has truly been changed and altered to the ways of God, is insane? Christianity is under attack in our country. We don't have time to play church. We don't have time to continue to say we belong to God, and in reality, we don't. We don't have time for that any longer. We must be the people who God has chosen. We must live an obedient life as unto Him. He tells Abram, leave. 
go where I'm sending you, and this is what I'm going to do. Just as he said then, he says to us, live according to my ways. Seek me, and I shall be found. He has given us everything we need to live a godly life. I've told you all, and I've encouraged you all, when you receive a gospel that gives you the right to yourself, you better run from it because you no longer have rights as a Christian. Oh, but this isn't going to hurt me. I could do this. God's going to be okay with it. When? How? Please show me that. Well, God doesn't really care. No, He does care. Because remember, it's about His plan. It's about His purpose from the beginning. And His purpose is established, and it will come to pass just as He is planning it. Rather, you believe in it or not, but I'm telling you, we better wake up and stop playing. We will read about people's lives as we're going through the Bible. And, and you're going to see in each and every single life, they, were, they obeyed. They obeyed. Doesn't mean your life will be perfect. You will make mistakes. <laughs> Remember, your goal isn't perfection. Your goal is obedience. Just obey. You falter, you fall down, you sin, get up, repent. His love hasn't changed for you. His love hasn't changed for you. It's the most craziest thing. When you realize that his, the great love that he has for you. And Jesus and I were talking about the other yesterday, I believe. And I said, but why are we resisting? Why are we fighting against him? Do you realize you're fighting against God's love for you? Like when he calls you into obedience, when he reveals himself to you, when he says, go this way. No, no, no. I want to do it my way. You're fighting against God's love just to have your way. How crazy is that? His ways are better. He knows. You can trust him. He has set this word out. He's fulfilling it. And in doing that, he's drawing us to him. He's drawing us to himself. He loves you. Stop fighting him. Stop resisting him. Learn to obey. Learn to walk in the spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. To live a life of obedience. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, verse 10, chapter 12, where um, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, let's kill him, then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Wow. 
we go from him worshiping God, building these altars in obedience unto the Lord, and just in a verse or two, he takes things into his own hands. Sarah, you're going to need to lie. Because they're going to need to kill me. You notice how quick his attention drew back to himself. And isn't it interesting, when we get so caught up with ourselves, we drag others along with us. Rather it's protecting ourselves, rather it's doing this or doing that. When the attention is drawn in on ourselves, we're going to drag others along with us. Just as it is then, so it is with obeying God. If you obey God, others' lives will be impacted. So you're impacting lives one way or another. For God, leading them unto Him, or leading them into rebellion with you. Abram was concerned more about his life. That he had his wife lie. Look what happens here. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace of officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, the king. And Sarai was taken into his palace. The Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them. And he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all of his possessions. God intervened yet again. He made things right for what he has purposed. And to me, I can find such comfort in that scripture. Because God is continuing to intervene in our lives. Don't go your way. Stay the course. Stay the way of God. Don't go your way. Don't try to manipulate circumstances. Don't try to fix things. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Trust God, you all. Trust Him to bring about what He has purposed for your life. The Bible says, remember, that He has prepared good works for you to do. Not to bring glory for yourself, but to bring Him glory. You are planned, you are purposed, you are of significance. You have a reason for living. But it's not to live for yourself. You can. That's your choice. You can love whoever you want, do whoever you want, have whatever you want, go with whatever you want. Live however you want, that is your choice. But in the end, it was your choice to remain in rebellion towards God. And He is a just God. He will reward you for how you lived. 
You want to remain in rebellion? You're not entering his kingdom. He'll give you the kingdom you want for eternity. Here, have at it. Torment for eternity. For eternity. And I know it's popular not to preach hell today. I know we want to do away with hell. But Jesus himself spoke of it. Eternity. He loves you enough, if that's what you want, or turn you over to what you desire. Have whatever you want. If you choose not to serve me here, have what you want. But in doing so, understand this, I'm a just God. He's a just God. And for eternity, you either reign with Him or you will be apart from Him. See, you're going to be faced with things when you get up from this place today. And you've got to ask yourself, am I walking according to God's plan for my life or am I walking towards mine? And if you see yourself walking towards yours, allow the Holy Spirit to draw you to a place of repentance. Draw you to a place of humbling yourself before God and saying, God, I don't want to continue to go my way. God, teach me. Show me. I want my actions and my deeds and my thoughts to honor you, God. That's the Christian life. I'm not perfect, God. I need you every hour of every day. God, show me the way in which I should go. When's the last time you asked him? When you have a bad attitude, when, when's the last time you allowed him to convict you, to keep you from doing and lashing out the way you lash out? When's the last time you allowed him just to minister to you so sweetly, reminding you that you are precious to him? You can't take things into your own hands and try to work things out. It won't work out. It may for a moment seem like it is, but trust me. In the end, it's temporal and it doesn't last. Have you really given thought to the things that you pursue? Do you really realize that the things that you are pursuing that are apart from God are temporal? They're not going to last. Relationships. So many people are so strung up on relationships. I need a man. I need a woman. I need someone to love me. That person can drop dead in an hour. And then who's loving you? Then who's loving you? You put all your worth and everything in that person and they can drop dead. Then who do you have? Maybe you're so caught up on your body, you want to look good, you want to do good, you want to take all these selfies, you want to promote yourself to find uh, some type of drawn attraction that people think you'll look good. You can be hit by a truck in an hour and be mauled. And then what do you have? Nothing. Except a mauled, ruined, twisted body. Who's going to look upon you? Take your selfie then, right? <laughs> Whatever you're putting your hope in, if it's not in Christ, you're putting it in something temporal. 
Maybe you want possessions. Maybe you want a, a, a new car, the best car, the best house, the best clothes, whatever. All of that can be taken from you in a second. And then what do you have? Listen, why would you settle for temporalness of life? Why would you try to find fulfillment in that which is temporal? <coughs> when God all along is saying, I am here. I have this for you. Eternity. Live as one who belongs to me. Don't put your hopes in the things of this world and in, in the people of this world because they will pass. God himself is all that can complete you all. God himself, he's the only one that can satisfy you. He's the only one that can heal your brokenness. He's the only one that can wipe away the pain. He's the only one that completes us. We don't have to take matters into our own hands. But I praise God that when we find ourselves doing it, He always steps in to intervene to lead us back. But are you listening? Are you listening? Your disobedience is not only going to cost you, it's going to cost others. And that's what's happening so many times in our families the disobedience of one generation to another generation to another generation to another generation. We just keep passing it on and passing it on and passing it on. And for what? Just so that the next generation can come up just much more enslaved than we were? That's not what God has for his people. No, we're to be a people. We're to be, we're to be the people of God that's passing on the inheritance of the Lord to our youth from generation to generation to generation, that the name of the Lord will be made known, that we would see the goodness of God, that we would draw close to Him, that we would honor Him. That's the legacy we should be leaving our children. That's the legacy, the legacy that we should be passing on to the youth. Let them see our love for God. Let them see that this isn't just a good story, oh, we just go to church and we're just a bunch of religious people. No, 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 no. Let them see us pass on to truly what it is to, to, to be a person who's loving God, who's trusting God. Let us be those who, who trust and obey. It says here in chapter 13, and we're going to go through verse 4 here. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north to the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages towards Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. I love that picture. We find him worshiping him again. We don't see that Abraham, you know, battled with himself or felt bad for what he did, lying. No, no he, he realized. He got up 
And he walked again in obedience unto Christ, unto the Lord God at that time. But how about you? Are you walking in obedience after you fall? After you done what, know what you should not be doing? Are you truly repentant and getting up and following God? Are you finding yourself at a place of worshiping Him? Or do you find yourself in a place of, oh, my, me, poor me, myself, and I. Look at what a horrible person I am. Do that shame and condemnation destroy your worship? It shouldn't. No, you're to get up and just keep moving. Get up and accomplish what God has and find yourself worshiping Him. Go to Matthew. Chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 26 is what we're reading today. And those who've come on Friday nights, we've been studying through actually this portion of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is beginning to declare what it is like to follow Him. To be a true disciple of Jesus. Not just someone who claims his name but denies his fame. <laughs> no, someone who truly understands who Jesus is. Listen, Jesus' words. These are Jesus' words we're going to read here. Remember I said earlier to you, Jesus himself has already said that the gate to hell, the road to hell is wide. A lot of people are on it. But the narrow path to him, not many people are on it. Oh, wow. Wow. How many people are showing up for church and walking out and not even knowing him? How many people have sat in church over and over and over and over and over and over again and God is revealing himself over and over and over and over again and yet they're still in rebellion towards him because their heart is hardened. Oh, my heart's not hardened. I love Jesus. Really, your life and the fruit of your life does not reflect that. In fact, the fruit of your life only reveals that you reject him. And don't you think that Jesus himself, as he begins to, to, begins to lay out this sermon, that his desire is that men and women, not only then, but of our generation, will come to a place of repentance that will receive the fullness of his salvation and enter into his kingdom, because he's going to talk a lot about his kingdom, and who's going to enter in and who isn't. This is Jesus, you all. Listen to what he says here. Verse 1, on a day, uh, one day, as he saw the crowds gathered, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Jesus' words. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Some translation says God blesses those who are in poor spirit. 
It's that genuine understanding that you need for him. And I love what Kay Arthur did in our studies on Friday. She kind of gave you that visual. It's you going down low. It's you realizing that you are a sinner. It's you realizing that, God, my life so far has just been based nothing above upon myself. But, God, I see you for who you are. You are holy. I see you. I see my need for a Savior. So I bow myself low. But as I'm bowing myself low, I'm raising my hand up to you, God. It's that pouring spirit. It's that life that's continual live in that, in that posture. That not of myself, God, only of you. It's that pour of spirit. It's knowing your need for Jesus, depending upon him day in and day out. These are Jesus' words. He's describing those who would be blessed. And I want to give you the definition of this word blessed so that we really have a, a good understanding. This is from the Greek word mercurius, which means to be happy and blissful. But it also means a self-contained happiness. The ideal is that our happiness is independent of our circumstances. It is self-contained, meaning that regardless of what is happening to us externally, we can be genuinely blessed as followers of Jesus. You see, your circumstances should not be affecting who you are inside. Because you're blessed. If you're truly a follower of Christ, it's not about what's going on around here. It's not what's happening here. Blessed are those. And we're going to see that over and over. It's that peace, if you will, that surpasses all understanding. That our hope and our confidence is in Christ and in Christ alone. Blessed are those, he says, who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He's talking about his kingdom. God bless those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I loved again, as we saw the teaching on Friday night, that each of these build off of each other. Those who are poor in spirit, those who are poor and remain low, those who, who are poor and see their need for Jesus, they begin to mourn over their sin. Like, oh God, I see my rebellion towards you and your kingdom. Oh God, I see the wickedness that is within me. And you begin to understand that, that the concept of, of repentance and then you're mourning over it. The Bible talks about don't mourn. Don't, don't mourn like the world mourns over repentance. Don't repent like the world does. No, your repentance should be of sorrow. Do you realize how great of your rebellion of the sin nature is? And how damaging and destructive it is? But in so doing, can you realize what Jesus did for you to free you from that? Can you remain low and you mourn over that, and those shall be comforted. God bless those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God bless those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God bless those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God bless those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God bless those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. 
Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember that ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. God's kingdom, you all. It doesn't say your reward will be here on earth. Remember, the things of this earth are temporal. Your reward will be found in heaven. God's kingdom. His kingdom. His throne will never be overthrown. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His kingdom is eternal. And so you either have that kingdom mindset now because you're a child of God and you're living with that mindset that I am of the kingdom of God, that I'm out of the kingdom of this earth. I'm not going to let war rage against my soul for my desires of the, of the flesh and of this earth because I've already nailed those desires to his cross. My heart and my mind is set upon his kingdom. His kingdom. When I think of Norma getting on a plane today, <clears throat> going to Indonesia, to a remote village, where she doesn't even know if she's sleeping outside or what anything about the trip. She just goes. Knowing good and well her life could be taken from her if she's captured. All because she's kingdom minded. God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll serve who you want me to serve. And this was a woman who before Christ nothing but wanted to murder people who hated people who was so consumed with herself God transforms lives you all Norma and of herself would not be heading to Indonesia if Norma was still living for Norma she would be living crazy she would be plotting her next murder she would be plotting the next life she would be looking at destruction all over because of the hell and the torment that took place to her for being raped and abused since she was a baby child, baby girl. Her identity so confused and so lost in this world. But God stepped in, revealed his love for her, and she fought it for many years, trying to live however she wanted to live. But finally, she finally got to a place where she just completely surrendered. Where else could she go? And now, she's living a life blessed because she is poor in spirit. She sees her need for him every single day. She is mourned over her sin. She is a peacemaker. She's living for his kingdom and for his glory. Let that be said about each of us sitting in this room. You don't have to go to Indonesia. Just walk the streets of where you're at. Are you an example of Christ to others? Are you living for His kingdom? Do you think upon Him? Do you think upon His kingdom? Do you understand that you've been given a task to do each and every single day? To be a harvester, to get out there in the fields and tell others about Jesus. That is your purpose from here on. 
You're kingdom-minded. You're learning of the kingdom. That's why you should be coming to church. That's why you should be in fellowship. I'm learning what it's like to live as one who is in the kingdom of God. How am I to think now? God gives us the church so we can do life together. So we can encourage each other, build each other up. See our gifts being displayed that he has distributed among us so that others can come into his kingdom. You're to be kingdom-minded. If you're not kingdom-minded, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. That's the bottom line. Find it anywhere. Find it anywhere. Show me where we get the right to live however you want and you will still inherit his kingdom. Oh, we got to wake up, you all. The hour's growing darker. And it's only going to continue to get darker in this world. But we as the church have the great light. We have the hope. We have the message of his kingdom. God's kingdom. You can live however you want on this earth. Have at it. Run buck wild if you want. I'm not here to, 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 to talk about your earthly desires. No, I'm here to talk about the kingdom of God. And he's not going to change his ways just to appease man. He's not just going to say, oh, I'll, I'll change my mind on that. No. From the beginning till the end, his word is established and he is fulfilling it. Rather, you believe in it or not. His kingdom. You're to be a kingdom-minded individual. Listen to what he's saying here. He is describing it. He's laying it out. He goes on and says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can, can, can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And not you. You doing good is not about you. You're doing good is to hope that he will receive all the glory and honor. Listen, I've asked you before, if I went around and asked people who you spend time with, and I say, describe them to me, how do they live? What fruit do you see in their lives? What would they testify about you? What would be said about you? I've told you before, either you're leading people to Christ or you're leading them to hell with you. And you're sitting in church and you're going to have to give an account for the truth that you receive. The Bible says that it's best that you've never known than to know and done nothing with it. You have the truth and you're either resisting God and you're fighting against Him or you've received His love and you've yielded your life into obedience to Him. No one said it's going to be easy. No one says the Christian life is easy. No, it's hard. Jesus Himself tells His disciples, consider the cost. Jesus Himself understands that what He has purposed and what He has laid out is not going to be, you know, socially, you know, Accepted. 
Consider the cost. It's going to cost you everything. Everything. It's going to cost you everything to live for Him. Can we grasp it, you all? Do you really get it? My heart is so broken. I mean, really, what are you doing with the good news that you hear? What are you going to go yoke yourself back up when you get up from this place? Oh, but I love Jesus. And Jesus himself says, you're the salt. You're the light. You're the salt. You're the light. You're the salt. You're the light. And yet you look just like everyone else in the earth. Oh, but I love Jesus, but you're not salty. I love Jesus, uh, but you have no light. Yeah, you may state his name, but you deny him of who he is. <coughs> I think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the religious folks of the day. And you know what Jesus called them? Children of the devil. Children of the devil. Your father's the devil. But Jesus, these are religious men. <laughs> Your father's the devil. You hold a form of religion, and yet you deny my power. Do you know how many people they were leading into hell? But yet they were praying to God. <laughs> they were doing the godly things. And yet Jesus himself, children of the devil. Like Jesus is passionate about his kingdom. <coughs> his kingdom. He's passionate about his creation. That he willingly laid his life down for us so that we would inherit his kingdom. Do you see, it's all about his kingdom. He desires for us to rule and to reign and to be with him in his kingdom for all eternity. And yet, you have a choice before somehow throughout the day and the weeks and the years to come until you take your last breath. Either you're for me or you're against me. And everything you put your hand towards and every word that comes out of your mouth and every thought that you entertain is going to say, I'm for you or I'm against you. So again, when you stand before him, he is a just God. And you know the Bible says that you will be judged for every idle word that you speak? And how quick we are with our tongues. See, when you're not kingdom-minded, none of this matters to you. I'll just show up for church. Yeah, Jesus. Yes, yes, whatever. But I'll live however I want. That's, you're not a Christian. You're a Christian when you're kingdom-minded. And you're living with that insight. His kingdom. He is passionate about his kingdom. Are you passionate about it? To advance his kingdom. To be an effective harvester out there laboring in the fields, being the salt, being the light, reconciling people back to God through Jesus. 
You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You have the good news to preach and to share. Don't water it down. Live it out. Listen to what he's saying here. He goes on, don't misunderstand why I have come. Jesus is saying this. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I didn't come to do away with them. I came to fulfill them. I didn't come, I didn't come just to do what I wanted to do. No, remember, everything was laid out in the beginning. The laws, the prophets, all of the things that we will be reading had to be laid out to get us to Jesus. <clears throat> so Jesus shows up at the appointed time and he says, I didn't come to do away with them, I came to fulfill them. The law will only always show you judgment. But Christ came to fulfill it to extend his grace and his mercy. If you're always concerned about judgment, then you're still bound by the law. <laughs> but a true child of God, they're not concerned about judgment. They're not concerned, if you would, about his wrath because they've already received his grace and his mercy and his love. And nothing can take that from us. You've already, you already received it. And so you're not enslaved to the wrath anymore. No, but you see the purpose to go out now and to share this good news with others in hopes that they will escape his wrath. You can be displayed his mercy and his grace to others, giving them hope to live, giving them hope of a better tomorrow and a future and an eternity in his kingdom. Listen to what he says here. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never enter into the kingdom of heaven if you just remain religious. If you just remain religious. Religion is not going to save you. Only Jesus can. If your righteousness... Listen to what he says here. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Religious people will not inherit the kingdom of God when they're just trying to go about their works, making them right with God. And dismissing what God has already established. If you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, even if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So, 
if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on your way to court with an adversary, settle your difference quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Relations are so important, you all. Be reconciled first unto God and then unto others. Listen to what he says here about anger, about lashing out. But I say if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. He lays out this understanding that if you're, if you're, if you're coming to a place of, of worship, if you're, if, you're, if you're coming to a place to acknowledge God, and yet you know there's some type of, 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 of grievance between you and someone else, go and try to reconcile it. And listen, you can't change the other person. You can't change the other person. But you, at least you can extend the offering. To be reconciled to each other. And if they choose not to be reconciled with you, don't hold grievances in your heart. You've done your part. Get up and now move them on about the Lord's business. You're hoping that they will. You're hoping that there would be a reconciliation. But again, you can't force someone else to be reconciled to you. Just like we can't force others to come to Jesus. An individual is going to do what they want to do. It's all a matter of a heart. But the heart that you should be genuinely concerned for is yours. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't, don't, don't be religious. Be transparent. Be, be honorable before the Lord and before others. Extend mercy as it's been extended to you. Listen, these are Jesus' words. Settle things. Don't let things just continue. Get them settled and move on. It's vital. If not, you'll become enslaved to it. You'll become enslaved to it. But remember, you are to be kingdom-minded. Others should see it within you. Others don't... We're so quick to get everyone caught up in our drama. But get beyond your drama. Get over yourself. Start living kingdom-minded. Let others see there is a way in which you ought to be living. Go to Psalm chapter 5. Oh, yeah, Psalm 5. Hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groaning. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning. Lord, each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. Oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence. 
for you hate all who do evil. You will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. I just want to stop there for a second. Are we hearing this? You take no pleasure in wickedness. And I know a lot of times when we're reading it or we're thinking of the wicked, we look at elsewhere, we look at everyone that's out there in the world, look how wicked they're living. But I want us just to get our focus off of them and just place it on us for a second. Wickedness is rebellion. No matter how you want to label it, it's rebellion. God takes no pleasure in wickedness. God makes, takes no pleasure in rebellion. Ask yourself, are you in rebellion towards God? Are you in rebellion towards God? The flesh only knows how to do one thing, and that's to die. That's why it just goes after everything that's in this world that it can feed off of. And yet somehow, we think God is pleased with our rebellion. No, you're not to be labeled as one who is rebellious. As a Christian... You have been set free from sin. Destruction is not to be your end. You're not to be known as someone who is wicked. Well, I don't do as bad as that person does. No, if your heart is still rebelling towards God, you are just as bad. Some of us may even be enslaved to sin. Whatever that is. But you ought not to be. The Bible says to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. And yet we make excuses to stay in it. And sin just doesn't have to be the big sins. That we all like to make bigger than the others. Sin is just insecurity. Sin is gossiping. Sin is, sin is you know, just anything that's so self Centered and focused. Poor me, myself, and I. God's not pleased with that. That's sin. Listen, either he's God or he's not. Either he went to the cross and died for us and rose and was resurrected and has ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He poured out his spirit and he, he has a people who are on this earth that are transformed reborn into a new nature, or all of this is just a lie. I choose to believe it. I choose to believe that he says that we are born again, that we don't have to continue to live in rebellion, that we don't have to continue to be so obsessed with our needs and our wants and our, and our desires that lead us to death. That lead us to an eternity separated from him. God will not tolerate the sins of the wicked. Verse 6, you would destroy those who tell lies. And yet we're so quick to lie. Yet we're so quick to manipulate and to deceive. And God will destroy 
those who live that way. It's a habit. It's a continual way of life. Listen, when's the last time you felt conviction over a lie that you told? I hope you did. I hope you felt the conviction. It was like, oh God, forgive me. And then you reconcile that with the God and you reconcile it with whoever you manipulated. See, that's how a Christian lives. But if you're one who does, your lies just, just, just flow easily from your mouth, your, your manipulation, you, you trying to maintain control, doing whatever you want. This is an habitual life that you live. God is not pleased. God is not pleased. To understand that God sent his own son who took upon his wrath for you. And do you think God is just going to sit idly by and not be faithful to his word? Oh, but here's such beautiful good news, verse 7. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with the deepest awe. Lead me in the, pa- the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul like a stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. Oh God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them. That all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with a shield of love. These beautiful promises within this psalm. But I love how it ends. He surrounds those as a shield. Of love. God you all. God you all. If you're sitting here today and you're and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, I don't know what's holding you back. I don't know what sin, what it is about you that you so long need and want that is greater than his love for you. And it's so simple to receive him, just acknowledging him. Acknowledging your sinful nature. Repent. Say you're sorry. Remain low. (laughs) Remain poor in spirit. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is confess and believe. It's a whole new way of living. If not, you're going to go the way of the wicked. Let's end in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1, four verses, and then we're finishing. Proverbs 1, verse 24 through 28. We've been talking about how wisdom is calling us. Wisdom is calling us to obey, to come. Obey. 
listen to these verses that break my heart. Because I'm like, wow, God, let us not be a people who reject wisdom. Listen to these verses. I called you so often, <laughs> but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice, and you rejected the correction I offered. So, I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm. When disaster engulfs you like a cyclone. And anguish and distress overwhelm you. When you, or when they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. To go without wisdom. And when I read that last portion, when, they, when, when it's written here, when they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. Do you know when they cry for help and they anxiously, anxiously seek it, the heart motive is not in the way that it ought to be. They're just looking to get things fixed for them. Take me out of this. They really see not the errors of their ways. So why should wisdom respond? When the motives of your of the heart of those who are now seeking for wisdom are not pure of heart. Listen to this. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when you are in disaster, when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when a disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. Wisdom, you all, is calling. Careful to what you're putting your hands towards. Careful to the thoughts that are consuming your, your mind and your heart. Careful of the words that are coming out of your mouth. You're either, you're either living as one who is who's, who's responding to wisdom, or you're living as one who doesn't. But here's the good news, you all. Jesus says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. Seek me and you will find me. And if you seek me with your whole heart. Draw close to him, the word to God says. And he will draw close to us. We are called to wash our hands. Because we're filthy sinners. Listen. How are you living your life? You're either living as one who obeys or you're living as one who is in rebellion. There's no in-between. And again, it's not about living a perfect life. 
but it is about living a life that, that you're maturing in. What nature are you still entangled with? You're either entangled with the old or you're entangled with the new. I would hope you're entangled with the new. We're all at different levels. If you're sitting here today and you're calling yourself a Christian, we're all at different places then that we're growing. And we, and we can make allowances, if you would, and come alongside each other and encourage and edify and build each other up to see the fruit that is in our lives and to judge it. To hold each other accountable. But in making allowances for each other, we don't dis dismiss sin as if it's nothing. No, if there's sin, active sin in your life that you're willingly going back to, if there's active rebellion in your life that is a continual habit, <clears throat> you're not of God. You haven't been born again. Because one who has been born again does not continue to do that. So today, before I close, I want you to think and ask yourself this. If you drop dead in that chair right now, and you stand before God. What would be His words spoken to you? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. Oh, will He say to you, depart from me? I don't know you. You worker of sin. You worker of iniquity. You worker of rebellion. I want you to think about that. Because you're not guaranteed the next second. And why on earth will you continue to reject him when he is calling out to you? Why would you continue to, to dismiss his correction when he's trying to correct you and draw you to repentance? Why would you continue to go your way when the eternal God, the one who spoke the worlds into an existence, loves you and is drawing you to himself? What on earth of this earth is worth losing in the end? There's nothing, you all. But I want to challenge you. You're not guaranteed tomorrow what you have is today set before you and you're going to have choices today and either they're going to line up with truth and wisdom or they're going to line up with rebellion you know your heart and I just don't understand well I do understand because for many years I lived rebellious <laughs> for many years I wanted to live however I wanted to live But when such great love is displayed to us, God himself reveals himself to us. How can we remain in rebellion towards him? So as this last song plays, I just want you to take some time. You know. You know where you're at. And God knows where you're at. And if you need to get right with God, then today's the day. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, don't get up from your chair and go downstairs. No, come talk with me afterwards. Because why would you keep rejecting him? 
if you have received him and yet you find yourself in complete rebellion with him, then I would encourage you to get right. Because why would you confess him and yet dismiss him? I just want to encourage you. God's love, you all. God's love. Nothing and no one can compare to it. He heals the brokenhearted. Such great salvation is available. And if you're sitting here today and you are a believer, and you're not living an habitual rebellion towards God, then I want to encourage you let fruit be produced in your life so that you're out there laboring in the fields, promoting godliness. That's what your life should be doing. Promoting His kingdom so that others are drawn to Him. Be encouraged with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer. Surrender, I surrender.